Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let the celebration begin. Come to Cabela's 4th of July sale and gear up for Independence Day. Get 50% off Cabela's American Flag Chairs 2-Pack and 50% off a Caravan 10-foot by 10-foot shelter. Plus, get 40% off an Abu Garcia Cardinal Sapphire Spinning Combo and 10% off all in-stock canoes and kayaks. Don't miss Cabela's 4th of July sale, in-store and online at cabelas.com. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I'm Daniel Guru, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. I wanted to do a podcast on Summer League, and the best person I know to talk to is Sam Vicini. He is the NBA draft primarily in college basketball writer for CBS Sports, and that leads him really into Summer League because he knows all those players. He's been covering them. I had him on for the draft, and it was great because he followed Orlando really closely, and as bad fortune would have it for us meeting personally, but good fortune in terms of covering Summer League, he arrived in Vegas the day I left, so between the two of us, we covered all of Vegas Summer League. So we talked for about an hour and 15 minutes about the guys who did well, the teams that are interesting, the draft guys this year, a lot of the second-year players, and it was a lot of fun. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, of course. Always happy to. Summer League is an interesting thing just because of how much we can really take from it, but where I think makes the most sense to start is where do you think that we'll see some impacts of this in the next year? That's a pretty good question just because, you know, sometimes Summer League, it's kind of hard to evaluate because you're, you've got guys playing there against, you know, inferior competition, like what Kyle Anderson did this year to me. You know, it was impressive that he took a leadership role on that team that won in Las Vegas and, you know, just kind of stepped up and was their main guy. But, you know, he didn't really show a whole lot of new stuff. Like, he showed that, you know, one-legged Dirk jumper. Uh, he showed a little bit better ball handling ability. But, like, he didn't show a better jump shot to me. He didn't, you know, show better quickness to make him a better defensive athlete on the perimeter. So, like... His, his improvements are worrisome to me, but there were some guys that definitely showed some great improvements. And I think you have to start with Aaron Gordon in Orlando. That that jump shot is 
totally revamped. It is a brand new jump shot. It's something unlike I've ever seen before as far as a revamping a jump shot over the course of a single season. It's more fluid now. He's actually getting a leg bend in his lower body. Uh, his release point is way better. It used to be hitchy at the top. Uh, now it's very smooth. He can actually shoot off the dribble now, and that's big for his development. It totally recalibrates what his ceiling could be. Yeah, and it also clarifies to me that he can be that true power forward offensively, which is very important when you think about it, because mm-hmm. it, just where he is in the scope of that, and Orlando is a team as presently constructed, and obviously with a team that young, you don't want to think of it as as all these players have to be together. I mean, we already saw them trade Mo Harkless, but having a better shooter at power forward considering their designated backcourt right now is a very important development for the scope of that team. Yeah, and even more so than that, I would take it a step further. The idea is that he has just made himself a lot more versatile now because you might be able to play him like some at the three, you might be able to play him some at the four. Like last year, he played a little bit of the three. He struggled there, in my opinion, just because teams never had to respect the jump shot. Uh, they'd just be able to collapse inside on, you know, that entire team. And their offense went into the tank. And with Scott Skiles there now, that offense is probably going to be in the tank as it is. So as much shooting as they can find, uh, that would be great, I think. But yeah, Gordon, he's just giving them so many more options to build around him as a player because his ball handling is pretty good for a guy that's 6'8", 6'9". His passing is awesome for a guy that size. His shooting is now, you know, pretty good, apparently. If he can be a combo forward that you can play with a lot of different players, I think that that's better than just limiting him to, you know, he's a four in this offense, he's a three in this offense. He's he's more than that now. He's a guy that uh, is versatile. And that's extremely important for the way this roster is built right now. The other type of guys that I think what they do in Summer League is important are are players when you can see how things work differently. And I think a guy that we both really liked is Moutier. And what I saw when I was was in the gym in Vegas was his court vision. And I didn't didn't think it was going to be that good this early. And... There, certain players have certain attributes that pop, and for me, that was the mo- that was the biggest one. He was my biggest winner. I did a uh, summer league superlatives post. He was the most impressive player in Las Vegas to me, and you know I had him at number three on my draft board coming in. I had him ahead of D'Angelo Russell. Uh, I feel decent about that right now. I mean, in summer league, that doesn't mean necessarily that I'm less high on Russell. I'm still extremely high on D'Angelo Russell, but like Emmanuel Moutier is just an incredible athlete that teams aren't going to be able to keep out of the lane. Uh, and his court vision is incredible. The way that he gets guys on the, on his back in the pick and roll and keeps them there by kind of using his footwork and sidestepping and the way that he rubs right off the screens whenever he's going into the lane off of picks, it's he, he just does everything that you'd want from a point guard in that situation offensively. It's rather remarkable, in my opinion. And then the court vision, like you said, he's able to, you know, see these little dump-off passes. He's able to, you know, find that cross-court pass to the corner for the three-pointer. It's really incredible to me. To me, it wasn't necessarily that I didn't know he could do that, because, I mean, he did this stuff in high school all the time. 
but I was a little bit surprised that he came in right away and played like this, considering he played under 400 minutes last season professionally. Like, I figured that there would be some sort of just a just a curve to getting back into where he needed to be just body-wise and uh, just instinctually within games. But no, it's just he's just ready. <laughs> and, and along those lines, for, for me, what was stood out was the, how he was able to use the baseline. So he could drive to the mm-hmm. lane and he could drive through it, and not in something like people talk about the midget position that Nash uses where it's kind of like you're moving along the baseline. He would just drive. He would get to the end, and he would he would have already seen the pass, and he could get it to the corner. He could get it past the corner. He could get it above the break, and that's while those passes won't be as open when you get into better athletes and more instinctive defenders like the the real NBA has. Right. You don't see guys think of that, and you don't see no. guys make those passes. And what you saw a lot of times with that was also that he he was getting a ton of hockey assists or Gretzky's or whatever or secondary assists, whatever you want to call it. Because he was hitting a guy, and the defense was like, oh, crap, and they were running over there, and then that was creating a secondary opening for a guy like Ian Clark. Yep, exactly. And that's where he's going to be awesome, I think, for the Nuggets pretty close to immediately. He's just going to create looks, pure and simple. And the other thing here is that at 6'5", he's going to be less affected by the increase in length whenever you get to the NBA. Like he's going to see over those guys and still see those passes being open. He's not a midget. He's not six foot one where, you know, sometimes those angles close up whenever you're uh, passing to like the corner above the break in the regular NBA, like you were talking about whenever he gets to the baseline. Uh, so yeah, I think that he's going to be fine. I think a lot of what we saw from him was translatable actually. Uh, and you can't really ask for that, ask for much more than that. But the concerns with him are valid because the shot and the turnovers are going to be problematic early. Like that's, that's just going to be true. But everything else that we saw from him looked translatable and looked like a positive. Yeah, I I definitely agree with you there. And one of, when I watched Moutier, one of the things that I was thinking about was how many different kind of guys you can pair him with in the backcourt. Because if you if if basically what you can do there is you can just get talent. And so if you get a yep. smaller guy who can shoot and is more of an off-the-ball type guy, you can make that work if you get more of a traditional two. I mean, I don't think you'd want another player there next to him who struggles with their jump shot, at least not for the for the short term, just no. because that you know it's too easy to defend. We just talked about Orlando. It's the same kind of issue. But other than that, you can make a lot of different things work. And also... From a personality standpoint, when you watched him on the court, he looked like a guy who wanted to run the offense. And there are guys who want that who aren't good at it, but he's already more capable at it than a large, large portion of players, not only his age, but players with his kind of experience. Yeah, no, and he seems like he makes other players happy to play with them. You know, and and that's a big thing, too, because he's always looking to distribute as opposed to, or he'll look to finish the rim, but like he's always looking to get his teammates involved and he always gets everyone involved on the floor. Like he, he was finding those dump off passes to his big guys in summer league. He was finding those kickouts above the break to Ian Clark or those corner threes to whoever, like it, it was really impressive. And as far as his fit on this Denver roster, I mean, they couldn't have found a more perfect guy to fit next to Gary Harris because Harris is a little bit undersized at around, you know, 6'3", 6'4". He's probably like 6'3 and a half. He has a long wingspan, and he's a menace defending point guards. He's a 
pretty good defender of twos as long as they aren't super physical. But with those super physical twos, you can switch Moutier onto him now, who's, you know, a little bit above 6'5 with a 6'8 wingspan, and he's a lot more physical. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do. But if, you know, if you think that Gary Harris is that long-term two in the backcourt, you couldn't have paired someone better with him to get everything out of his skills. Another team dynamic that I, I spent some time in summer league thinking about, and you wrote about at least one of their players in, in your last piece, is the Toronto Raptors. And the Raptors now have just built this assembly of athletic, tough guards. And while DeLon Wright played in summer league and did a good job, I think the the ascension, if you want to call it that, of Norman Powell to be a potential rotation player for them is another substantial development for a team that's going to be relevant this year. I will not allow anyone to take uh, control of the Norman Powell hype train, except for me or Mike Schmitz, because Mike Schmitz of Draft Express, him and I have been as high on Norman Powell as anyone could be for a long time. We felt that his toughness was just going to show through and be incredible and be awesome, uh, and his athleticism was going to show through, and you know, if he developed the jump shot as he went along, he'd be fine. Uh, that jump shot came along a little bit quicker than I thought it would because it looks a lot better than it did at UCLA. It's smoothed out. There's no longer a hitch at the top. You know, the release point, maybe he could try and fix it a little bit. It's uh, It just kind of scares me. It's a little bit too far to the left, it looks like, and it scares me as far as uh, repeating the mechanics over a long course of time. But if he's going to be this guy who can really defend and defend multiple positions because – there were times where he was defending ones in Vegas, and there was a time where he was defending Doug McDermott at the four in Las Vegas. Like, he, he can defend just about anyone on the floor. Uh, I would say one through six foot seven to six foot eight. Uh, so if you can do that, that, inc- that creates incredible versatility for who you can put around him. As long as you put a shooter around him, you're going to be able to put a million different guys around him and likely make it work. And that really increases his value. The Raptors got him on what, in my opinion, is just an incredible deal. They signed him to a three-year deal. Uh, it's a little bit above the minimum the first year, uh, pretty much the minimum the second year for second-year players. And then they got a non-guaranteed third year at a million dollars for him. Then he's going to be a restricted free agent, of course. So that that's an awesome, awesome contract. He's going to be a great fit for them. Uh, he brings something different than Terrence Ross does because he's that defensive presence that I don't think Terrence really is. And, you know, next to DeMar, it's just going to be another great athlete. So I really, really liked that pick at the time. Uh, I said whenever – I said on draft night, actually, that – I thought that he would play more than Rashad Vaughn, who went, what, 17th overall uh, this season. Pretty much I said that on draft night. He went 30 picks after him. And, yeah, I I don't think that I've been proven wrong on that one yet. Yeah, it's a little bit sad for me that I can't take any sort of claim for that, considering Norm Powell and I went to the same school. But I didn't see this. I saw saw him, his defensive ability. I definitely saw that. But his offense has done a lot better than I expected. And... What I really like about what Toronto has done is that they've added these players and they did it in a way that they just traded Grievous Vasquez for a first-round pick in one of the more ridiculous trades of the of the year. <laughs> and they got two players that I probably already like better than him right now to replace him. Well, they got the first-round pick, which yeah. 
you know. But that, even just Delon, even just Delon Wright and Powell, I mean, the, even just with those guys, I think they'll be better in the short term, and they're a lot cheaper, and they're not on expiring contracts. I don't think they'll be better than Grievous this year. I think Grievous is a really good offensive point guard who knows how to run a team. Has really improved his jump shot, and you know he he makes people around him better. So I, I don't know that they'll be better this year. But having said that, you know, long term, like you said, you got basically what seven years of control for one year of Grievous Vasquez, and it's not like Grievous Vasquez is irreplaceable either. Like he's a guy that you can you can find. Like the marginal difference between Delon Wright and Grievous Vasquez is probably one win this year. Uh, if you can get seven years of control over that, that's just so worth it in my opinion. So, yeah, I, I don't know what the Bucks exactly were doing on that one, but uh, it's it's a trade that looks like it's going to work out well. I, I still have my questions on DeLon Wright getting into the rim or getting into the lane consistently, mm-hmm. uh, especially if he can't shoot really because the jump shot didn't look much better here in, or, uh, in Las Vegas. I keep forgetting that I'm not in Las Vegas anymore. Uh, <laughs> after my marathon trip. For people that don't know, I was in Las Vegas for the last five days of Summer League, and then I did uh, the AAU uh, July recruiting period uh. in Las Vegas for college hoops. So my brain is basically broken at this point. But yeah, I think that DeLon is probably a very marginal downgrade, uh, but you get more years of control on him. So I don't know why the Bucks would have considered doing that really and one, one, <laughs> one small thing i'll mention is that technically that wasn't the trade it was just no it was their asset yeah. but one team that really stood out to me and it's not necessarily in terms of the impact because those guys probably won't be playing in the nba at least not for the rockets this year was houston their team was full of not these veteran guys but young guys and they were i saw them wreck a pretty good summer league team i'm trying to remember who it was but guys like alan williams chris christian wood they did they were really impressive yeah, no, Alan Williams was incredible. He led all rookies in scoring and rebounding uh, at Summer League. Uh, he's going to go over to China next year, actually. Uh, he signed a deal. My guess is, from what I heard, he wanted a fairly sizable guarantee because I guess he had maybe a, it might have been this Chinese offer. He had an offer, though, like that was into the six figures. So he was looking for a deal, a similar deal in the NBA to stay over here. It wouldn't surprise me if he ended up coming back in March and just signing a deal late in the season that carries into next year because he'd be the kind of guy where that would be perfect. He'll probably go over and dominate China because I don't think any of that league is going to out-physical him, and that's known as a pretty physical league. So I think he's going to be very successful there as long as he can adjust. Uh, and he was just awesome. He was just all over the glass. He had 20, 22 and 20, I want to say, in his last game. He's, he's a guy that you just can't keep off the glass. And another guy like that is Montrez Harrell. Montrez is one of my favorite players, uh, in this draft class, pure and simple. I had him right around 23 or so on my last big board. Uh, he ended up going, I want to say 32, which was crazy to me. He's a guy that he talks constantly. He talks on defense, like to communicate and make sure he knows where everyone is. But he also just talks. There was one point where he threw down this massive dunk over Steve Zach from the Philadelphia 76ers. And he basically just screamed in his face immediately right after. It was incredible. Uh, he's going to be a guy that some older players probably want to fight, but I don't know that I would try Montrez Harrell either. <laughs> yeah, and 
I felt I felt a little bit bad for him just because it looked like the Rockets were going to have such a stacked front court rotation, but Josh Smith's departure to the Clippers actually may open up maybe not space this year, but just open up a conceptual role. Um. Yes, I wonder if that role will be for Decker as opposed to Montrez Harrell, but I think that Harrell's probably more ready to play in the NBA as it is right now. Um. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with that and wh- how they utilize that role because, you know, they are going to have some minutes at the four because you figure Terrence Jones is probably going to start at the four. They did bring back KJ McDaniels and you would think McDaniels is probably ahead of the rookies at this point. So you play him behind Ariza and then at the four, maybe you go small ball Decker, maybe you go Montrez Harold. Or maybe you just go Motor Unis the four with Howard, but I think that's kind of a disaster waiting to happen. Uh, but you know, maybe maybe there are some minutes available there. It's it's possible. You might be right. Yeah, and the I mean, Rockets, Corey Brewer's there still too, which is weird. Yeah. Well, but like, and, the, and the Rockets have. It seems like they just have an in, in, inordinate amount of power forwards just all the time. They just pick them up yeah. like they're like they're candy, which is fine. I mean, I, I think if if you can make it work, but. Considering those guys, it seems like they all had injury issues last year. You never really know. Yeah, depth is never a bad thing. It's That's why whenever people say, like, oh, uh, you know, trading this guy opens up minutes for this younger player. I'm just like, I don't know that that's a good thing necessarily. I feel like you want to make them earn the minutes first and foremost. I feel like you want him to uh, actually play, like, hard and make sure that he is getting the most out of his skills in practice, getting the most out of his development uh, away from real game time. And, yeah, there's something to be said for uh, getting that game time and getting that experience. But uh, I just don't know that I can abide by saying that, you know, trading away so-and-so talented player opens up minutes for someone. Uh, make that guy earn those minutes. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I we're on the same page there. One team that is was concerning to me in a couple ways you wrote about it as well but i we actually i think we we agree on parts of concerning but i actually have more there is the lakers like they <laughs> obviously have lots of talent they they were one of those teams that had you you're sitting there and you go oh wow they have a really good summer league team you know they had cuz they had the combination of young lottery talent and then they had older guys who were better than most summer league players and yeah. you can talk about the wins and losses but they their guys popped less consistently to me than a lot of the other team's good players. Well, I thought Jordan Clarkson was awesome. Yeah. Let, let's start well, there. Well, he's, he's, a, he's, um, a, he's a monster in this setting. Yeah. He should not have been playing summer league. I don't really know how it benefited him, to be honest. But yeah, Julius Randle scared me a little bit. Uh, he didn't really rebound as well as you would have expected, given that that's like one of his major skills. Uh, he scored reasonably well. But he, he wasn't finishing well around the rim because he kept trying to go through people as opposed to trying to go around them. And that's not what you really want to see from your number seven overall pick going into his second year. And yeah, I know that he's basically a rookie. He, you know, lost his entire season after breaking his leg, but he, he's been working out for a while now at this point. Like he, he didn't, he lost a year. He didn't lose from March onward. You know, like, there's still a lot of time to work with coaches and develop there. D'Angelo Russell, I wasn't super worried, I guess. I was a little bit worried, but, you know, the athleticism question has always been there with him. 
uh, whether or not he'll be able to break down defenses and get into the lane, or if he'll be a perimeter-based player that you know is based on the jump shot and the passing and the acumen. It's, it's just not something I'm worried about yet. I want to see him get into a real system. Uh, I want to see him get into a real, just a real setting and see what he can do. Uh, I, I think the jury's out on him at this point. Yeah. Uh, Upshaw didn't show me much that at this point. I, I think they're smart giving him a non-guaranteed two-year deal. Uh, just because of his talent level, to me, he was a lottery-level talent um, that, that just obviously has issues. Um, and, you know, like, I, I wish that they would have played more of Tony Mitchell, too, who won the Italian League MVP last year. And they just had no interest, really, it seemed like, in getting a look at him. So that that was weird to me as well. So I'm I'm interested in seeing where this Lakers team goes, but I, I also want to hear what you're concerned more about. I'm cons- the word for me with D'Angelo Russell is separation. His yeah. passing is great. He's, he's but if you can't get separation on summer league guys, that's a little bit of a concern for me because you're going to be dealing because in a lot of ways when you're a guard, that's what the NBA is about. Is about yep. it's it's whether you can create space because I have complete faith that when D'Angelo Russell creates space, he's a really good basketball player. I mean his open court passing was better than Moutier's. His open court, he's mm-hmm. has great vision. He has, uh, it's hard to describe to people, but I say he has a lot of passes in his toolbox. Basically what that means is he no, knows, yeah. like he knows how to put the right spin on the ball. Like he, if he sees a guy standing in, standing in a specific spot and he knows where the defenders are, at this age, he can already go, okay, this is what I need to do to get the ball there. There are 30-year-old point guards who can't do that. Yeah, he knows how to. He can throw like screwball passes for God's sake. Like yeah, exactly. So that like, part of it is there. Yeah, that part of awesome. it is there. But it's a lot harder to, to like if if you can't get the first part, if you can't create the separation, if you can't get the space in half court settings, it makes it hard to maximize that value. What I love about Russell right now is this. It's a really strange counterintuitive thing, but. He's not a. He, I didn't see a lot of great finishing from him. And I, I, I personally didn't love his finishing in college either. No. But what that makes him is a great, what I call a great first pass fast break guy. And so what that means is, to me, there are certain guys who are first pass guys, and there are certain guys who are second, and some guys who are both. And what that means is, when the outlet guy gives you the ball, usually you're going to make a second pass. And what, what, unless you're a guy who can finish. And so the guys who are second passes, those are finishers. So like Gerald Green, to me, is an amazing second pass guy. He's, you right. don't want him to make another pass, but once he gets the ball, you can finish, you can shoot, you can do something like that. Not a great basketball player, but he's a guy who can do that. Russell, like a, a lot of other good point guard, guard guys, if you get him the ball in the open court, he's going to make the right decision. And right. so he provides value to the Lakers if they ever run. <laughs> because of that, and that ties in with the second concern I have for the Lakers, and that's, are they willing to, even for stretches of time, because, I, I, I mean, so you have this kind of, this team that has a lot of running talent, Rod, Randall, I think, can do a good job at the four, he's not, you know, he's not yep. a, a thoroughbred, but he can do a good job in an offense, Jordan Clarkson, even Lou Williams, but then you have Kobe Bryant and Roy Hibbert, who might be two of the worst fits right now for a fast-paced offense. That doesn't mean they're bad players. It just means they have these this kind of Harvey Dent team, and they have to figure out what they're willing to do and why I'm concerned about the Lakers is 
those guys who don't fit everything else also happen to be the highest paid players, the most famous players, and in Kobe's case, the most loved, like, integral part of that team. And so Mm -hmm. are they willing to sacrifice a year where things don't really fit, especially when they're losing their own draft pick? Yeah, that's going to be very interesting to me as well. That's one thing that I wanted to men- I wanted to talk about too is that you saw this team run a lot of like Princeton-y sets. Like you didn't really get to see Russell run a lot of pick and rolls this week, or I guess two weeks ago now. Um, and that's a place where he can get separation. He's a very good pick and roll guard, and I think that if they would do that, at least that would help him get that separation. It would help him uh, find those guys, uh, you know, on the opposite sides of the floor. And w- would really help him get that separation that he needs. Uh, but I don't know that they're going to do that this year because that's not Byron Scott's philosophy. That's not what this team has done in the past with Kobe Bryant involved. Uh, it- it's going to be interesting to see if they can figure out a way to, you know, mesh those two thoughts together. Like maybe, maybe you don't start one of Russell or Clarkson, you don't start Randall. And then with the second unit, with Lou Williams, you bring on uh, a more fast-paced attack and let those guys develop, right? Uh, and then whenever the first team's on, first unit's on, you have Hibbert, you have Kobe, you run all of these goofy, slow-down Princeton sets, like just the archaic NBA where you don't do anything creatively. And that, that's possible. Maybe that that's the way to kind of balance the two thoughts but right now i don't have a lot of faith in this coaching staff being able to do that <laughs> and and you talked about the idea of randall coming off the bench and to me that's why you get brandon bass if you want to do that because now yes. you have a guy who fits with that slowdown offense and who fits personality wise and uh, i think he'd be a nice one with that and then in a guy right. who is good enough that you can justify saying hey this guy we drafted really high last year he's not going to start but look we were playing we're playing this already established player I wonder, assuming that something like that holds, what the, you talked about Lou Williams, how they fit in Lou Williams and Nick Young. Because Nick Young, to me, naturally fits a lot better with that second group, also less chance of Kobe Bryant committing homicide. But I'm they not also sure that don't you don't have a small forward. Yeah, but I'm also <laughs> not sure that you want him with those guys. You know, if, if your idea is development and working with all that, unless you can tell Nick Young, hey, you're just like a catch and shoot guy. You're doing that. You're not going to be, you know, you're not going to be this guy who runs things or anything like that. Then you you basically can you cultivate as you talked about with the coaching staff like can you build the structure to make positive developments for these players? Yeah, that's a really interesting thought too. I don't know that Kobe would be willing to let Nick Young survive if he started next to him. So that's a little bit scary. Um, but having said that, yeah, you can't let Nick Young freewheel whenever you have D'Angelo Russell, uh, you know, Jordan Clarkson, Julius Randle on that second unit. Or maybe you can. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's kind of the balance where you say, all right, Nick Young's on the floor. There's no way we're going to be able to get through these Princeton sets because he's just going to break them anyway. Let's just run like a basic pick, pick and roll based offense where, you know, Russell takes the ball, runs off a screen, uh, maybe finds Nick Young for a kick out where he attacks close out or maybe finds, uh, you know, Julius Randle at the rim for a dump off or something like that. You know, maybe, maybe that's the balance. Maybe Nick Young plays on that unit 
and they realize that they can't run Princeton because he'll break it down anyway. And that's where that goes. But yeah, I, I don't think Nick Young is going to, I don't think they're going to want Nick Young playing on that first unit because Kobe will slice his throat. Like it, it just will not end well. <laughs> yeah, the the other team that I think about in the sense of they're not going to be as fun as people think they are is Minnesota. And that is, as somebody who, that's because of Flip Saunders. Like, I, yeah. thought, I thought Carl Towns was very interesting. I liked him a lot. His passing is already at a high level, and his skill set is, he's not all the way there. You know, it's going to take him a little bit of time, but he's really good. Yeah, Flip's going to run a lot of post-up offense because Towns is really good at running post-ups. Andrew Wiggins is good for a wing posting ball up. Same with Shabazz Muhammad. They did run a lot of that, like, power wing, give the ball to, like, one of their small forwards on the left block, and then kind of let them create last year. So I don't know that that's going to be a really exciting team, but maybe with Rubio back, maybe with uh, Bielitsa in, maybe with Zach Levine coming off the bench for the second unit. I mean, they have a lot of, space in or pace and space kind of fits here where they could run up tempo with Ricky Rubio, Wiggins, Levine, Towns can even run a little bit, but they could also do some interesting things in the half court where, you know, you run Bielitsa, you run Adrian Payne, even Towns can shoot uh, off of these screens and you can even do Gorgie Jang with it. Cause Jang is very good at cutting to the rim and he even has like a 15 foot jump shot. Um, it's going to be interesting. Flip needs to find a way to get all of those guys involved because they have a lot of random pieces. And I don't really know how Nikola Pekovic fits in that now. I don't really know how Kevin Martin fits in this now. I, I don't know how Kevin Garnett fits in this now, to be quite clear, outside of uh, at, just as a mentor to these younger guys. Because, yeah, Garnett's probably better than Bielitsa now. I, I mean, I would assume that that's true, even though Bielitsa was the EuroLeague MVP this year. Um, I, I don't know that you really care what Kevin Garnett's giving you either, because Bielitsa is like the perfect fit next, next to Towns. Maybe you just want to let those two develop together. It, it's a very difficult, they're in a difficult situation, I think, more than uh, they're in a situation where Flip Saunders is going to screw it up, because they need to find a way to get these vets minutes, uh, or else they're going to be pissed and screw up that locker room and they need to find a way to get the young guys minutes because you want them to develop. And yeah, competition's great. Like I said earlier, but competition's great. If you think that those guys can also be long-term pieces and yeah, making those young guys earn it is better, but you know, some of these young guys do have higher pedigrees and they do think they're going to be worthy of minutes. They do. And what worries, it's one of those contracts that turned faster than almost any I can remember and without really being injury-based. I mean, he has had injuries, is Pekovic. Pekovic was, you know, it was a justifiable contract. I thought he got maybe even a little bit underpaid. Yeah. But you you realize kind of his flaws, and then they just, they you know, they hit the jackpot, and they get a bunch of good young talent, and all of a sudden, it, you're sitting there going, like, if we could theoretically not amnesty him, but, like, if you could get out of his contract, they would to be doing backflips. I would think so, yeah. But, like, he's still a valuable dude is the crazy thing. He went, like, 17-9 and nine in 2013-14. Yeah, he played limited minutes. But, yeah, like, the problem is that he's just – he can't stay healthy. He, he The injuries have been the major thing for me with him. You know, he's played 250 games out of a possible – what is it, like, 
380 or so over the course of the last five years. This is that that's probably pretty close to being uh, what is possible given the lockout season. But like he, he just hasn't played as many games as he should. And if you're getting that kind of, you can't pay that guy twelve million dollars a year if you're only going to get that many games. Yeah, and one of the things that I wanted to talk about with with Minnesota, seeing I I don't did you see any Levine because I think he had already stopped playing by the time you went to Vegas. Uh, I didn't, but he's a guy that's perfect for that setting. Yeah, but what what I was thinking about with him, we I talked about the idea of first pass, second pass on the fast break. Is he's a good second pass guy because his yeah. judgment is basically just like I'm going to shoot, I'm going to shoot. And what I'm thrilled about with him and another UCLA guy is he doesn't have to play point guard anymore. It was always going to be a disaster. It was a disaster, and now he can go to his natural position, which is the two. Yeah, I always thought of him as the two. Um, I know that they played him at the point last year, but that was a disaster, like you said. Um, he's fine to me. Um, he, he's very Gerald Greeny to me. Um, I basically compared the two whenever Levine came out last year. I was like, yeah, I think he's maybe he's more successful than Gerald Green because I think Gerald Green's career could have gone a totally different way. You know, like if he ends up in a better situation to start his career. But, he, yeah, he's just very Gerald Greeny to me. He can really shoot the ball. He can really get to the rim. He has very little in-between game. Uh, he's an okay passer, I guess. He racks up assists, but his assists aren't really like, oh, I'm creating off the dribble assists. They're kind of on reversals. They're on uh, just handling the ball a lot assists. So, I mean, he's fine. The key for him is going to be if he can – ever figure out a way to defend people. Because right now, I don't know who he defends. Who does he defend? The answer, based on the stats last year, is he defends no one. Yeah. like. But he, physically, he can defend. I think he's better. I, I don't know. Like, I, instinctively, instinctively I you would think he's better skinny. Yeah, on ball, just because his lack of attentiveness. But he got smoked on ball last year. Yeah. So maybe you put him off ball and just hope that his guy doesn't back cut him. But yeah, I, I think he's going to get back cut because yeah, he's, he's very inattentive. Absolutely. <laughs> See, I, I think I think that's a, lim- a limitation with him. But he he always for for me, I like that you brought up the idea of Gerald Green, and it, we talked about it. I believe the last time you were on about J.R. Smith in the same type of way. And yes, I am going to transition this into Azonia very soon. But the idea that <laughs> that what his intrigue was with with Zach Levine is that if he figures it out he has the physical tools to be a good defender. Like that's, that's the difference is you think, I think about defense as a series of different things, but one of those components is the physical ability. Cause he's, he's right. athletic. He has, I, I believe he has decently long arms for his body, even for a two. Like he yes. has the physical ability. And so can you not over the course of one or two years, but over the course of probably four years, make him into somebody who cares enough and is aware enough to, become passable on that end and by that point because i think he enjoys offense he enjoys shooting to become become kind of in a way like jamal crawford in the sense that his defense is decent enough to justify his offense yeah like jamal crawford's defense is a negative but it's not going to overpower what he brings you offensively basically as far as levine goes i I do have concerns about his body being what it is like yeah he has the frame lengthwise and height wise but his his bulk his ability to add bulk even is going to scare me a little bit he has a very skinny chest uh very skinny hips very skinny 
plagues. So it's all going to depend on how he fills out over the course of the next three years. And that's often a very difficult thing for those really skinny guys to judge. If he can get his body in better shape and just add some muscle, I think that he could be an okay defender if he gets his head on straight defensively and starts learning about how to, you know, cut off those backdoor passing lanes or, you know, cut off penetration on ball. But uh, given what we saw last year, I don't have faith in that happening. <laughs> I just don't. Like, it yeah, was, yeah. he was maybe the worst defender in the NBA last year. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's definitely fair, but I don't, also don't think we have much more to say on it. So we'll go on to the guy I just alluded to, Mario Hazonia. I love the guy. I will continue to love him, though they shouldn't have taken him over Moutier because Moutier is awesome. We already talked about him. But what did you see in Orlando from a guy who's already played professionally for a while? Um, He was a little bit more hesitant than I thought he would be. Um, I don't know if it was just like there were a lot of veteran guys on that team. Uh, you know, Aaron Gordon was there. Alfred Payton was there. Uh, you know, sometimes those guys do take a step back. But he was a lot more hesitant than he ever was in uh, Spain. What was that? Three weeks ago now in Orlando. And that's not something I ever expected to say about Mario Azonia. He was okay. He shot, you know reasonably well I think his percentages were kind of low but you know the shot is there I mean you could tell it's quick it's fluid um it'll go down because we have a higher sample from him in Spain saying it will go down and his size and length isn't going to be a deterrent to it going down he's good in transition uh handled the ball a little bit he can slash obviously uh so yeah I think that he's going to be okay um but he didn't have a great week in Orlando, in my opinion. Yeah, it was, for me, it was about flashes. Like, you know, yeah. he had those, he had those moments, he, he dunked on a few people, he shot a couple of really deep threes, and it's going to take some time. I mean, just, just with all those guys. And yeah, he's played, he played for, in a strong European league, and that's true, but we're gonna, we're gonna have to see him kind of grow into it. But what I was so encouraged by was that he, it seemed like he really was aware of the talent around him and was aware of his need to play a role. And part of the biggest criticism of Hazonia was his lack of awareness of that. And, you know, that his, his belief was so extreme in himself that he would just kind of take over in a sense. And I was very encouraged to see him actively want to play a role. Yeah, that was kind of weird for me too. I didn't expect him to do that, to be quite clear. Um, I kind of expected him to come in like a just dominant force who may or may not have been positive or negative for his team. It'll be interesting to see how that year goes this year because they could really use him even as a rookie. And you would think that uh, with him being or playing professionally in the second best league in the world, plus Euro league a lot, you, you would think that he might be ready for some minutes. They'll probably be able to give him as much as he can handle. And, you know, going forward, like I said, he's kind of a perfect fit next to Victor Oladipo. And if they can play him at the three, you know, Aaron Gordon at the four, and then Vucevic at the five, that's at least, it's at least a longer team than they've been in the past. They might be able to cut off penetration because that's a big thing with Skiles is that his teams have always done a great job of cutting off penetration. And if you can do that, you can minimize uh, Vucevic's problems around the rim defensively. And if you can do that, he becomes an incredibly valuable player, obviously. He's already a very valuable player, but uh, if you can minimize his defensive issues, then he's he soars value-wise. 
So I'm, I'm going to be interested in that, I think, in seeing how, you know, Scott Skiles adjusts to having these strong defensive guards in Victor Oladipo and Alfred Payton. And then he has Mario Hazonia, who can provide some shooting for him on the wing. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how he divides the minutes uh, up between those guys. Yeah, I, I think that Orlando could benefit, and I think this is going to happen with them. People are high, and they definitely have a lot of talent, uh, from being a little bit shaky for one more year because they can add another <clears> piece. They can get someone who can really build that young core out. I mean, granted, they've been building young core for four years now, but I also am wondering how they're going to fit Tobias Harris, who they just paid a boatload of money in, with Aaron Gordon's development. So, yeah, that, that's going to be very interesting, too. There are a lot of minutes to go around at the 3-4, in my opinion, for combo guys. Uh, whether you start Gordon, whether you start Harris, maybe you start both of them and bring Hazonia off the bench. Uh, that offense is going to be rough pretty much any way you go about it. So I think that I would just have Gordon, Harris, and Vucevic, you know, I guess I would have that start, but... Uh, it's not going to be pretty. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I don't know what that team's going to look like. So it's kind of hard for me to even guess. Like offensively, I just don't know what they're going to look like because Scott Skiles has never really shown me a lot of uh, creativity offensively. So maybe use run like a power post game with Tobias doing that mid post stuff that he's really good at, or maybe you run Tobias in the corner because he turned into a pretty decent three point shooter from the corners last season. Uh, and then have Vucevic uh, either in the post or out into that 16-foot range. Uh, they have a lot of versatile pieces offensively, but they still just don't have enough, you know, true shooters to space the floor for them. So I, I, don't, I just don't know what that team's going to look like. It's very hard for me to guess. But they're going to be good defensively, I'll tell you that. Yep, I, I think they will be good defensively, and... What do you, what, if, if it had theoretically come to pass, would, how much more would you have liked a Moutier-Oladipo backcourt than Payton-Oladipo? I think that Moutier is just better than Alfred Payton. Yeah. Um, I, awesome. I think, yeah, I think they made the right choice taking Hazonia over Moutier because Hazonia fits with both Payton and Oladipo. And I'm someone that does really preach... Uh, you know, I, I think that fit matters. I'm, I'm not like a pure value guy whenever it comes to the NBA draft. I think that uh, finding a guy that is the perfect fit for your situation matters just as much as finding the most talented player. You know, the, obviously, you know, you have to kind of balance that and say, hey, you know, Emmanuel Mudiay, I had him at third on my board. I had Hazonia at fifth on my board. Does the fit uh, kind of counteract what Moutier can bring you. I probably would have taken Hazonia still. Um, I, I think the Kings screwed up by not taking Moutier. Yeah, yeah, we'll just leave it at that because I don't really want to get into a Kings discussion. Kings. We're, we're not going there because no, I don't. I'm, I'm, having, I'm having Tom Ziller on probably in the next couple of days, so we can save that discussion and save you the angst. Please. Let's go on to Kaminsky, another interesting guy. I, I There was a lot that I liked from him, though I still wonder exactly what his role is going to be on his successful NBA team. I think he kind of fits better as a four. Uh, he also has realized, uh, he said like all throughout his pre-draft interviews, that he's getting better uh, laterally and trying to make it so he can play the four. Uh, the way that he's going to fit is as kind of a, the same way that Nick uh, Miritich does. He's, you know, a guy that can shoot the ball. 
but he's also a guy that can really handle the ball and really attack closeouts well. Uh, the key for him is going to be to find a way to finish in the NBA because he didn't finish well in Orlando. Uh, it wasn't even necessarily length that bothered him. I think that part of it was just the fact that, uh, you know, some shots just don't fall. And he, he got decent looks at the rim and uh, he short-armed a couple. So I, I think that he's going to be at least okay finishing at the rim. But, you know, that's a concern with him just because he's not a guy that's going to elevate and he's not a guy that has long arms. He's still seven foot one, so that'll help. Like, he, he's just going to be big enough to hopefully finish as long as he can get around guys as opposed to going through them. But uh, I think that, like I said, we saw a blueprint for how he – can contribute to an NBA team uh, this year with the Bulls, with Nick Miritich, because I think they're quite similar players, actually. I just realized we made it this far without talking about Bobby Portis. How did that happen? Yeah, I don't know, because Bobby Portis is basically God. <laughs> I mean, I was sitting there, I was sitting there, because I was in the gym when he had his, was it a 20-point explosion? Like, and, it was like the first game. And I was sitting there like, Sam would be loving this. Yeah. As, as the biggest, and, and I'm not, I say this in all the positive ways, as, as probably the the player who was waving the flag, the person who was waving the flag for Bobby Portis the most, he was fabulous. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> Bobby Portis did what Bobby Portis does. He plays extraordinarily hard. Uh, he's big enough to match up with both positions defensively, the four and the five. Uh, he's re- he rebounds reasonably well. Uh, that, that's not going to be a strength immediately for him, but it could develop into one because he's long enough and he's physical enough to do so. Um, then he can shoot that mid-range jumper. He can shoot threes. I didn't think that he would have the three-point jumper from NBA range yet. Because uh, if you notice his shot, it's kind of strange. It has like a hitchy vibe to it at the top. Uh, but yeah, I was I was very impressed with Bobby Portis. It's a great pickup for the Bulls. What he's going to do is he's going to allow them to trade Taj for something uh, you would think eventually, or just maybe let him go because uh, Taj is expiring this year, if I'm correct, right? Or does he have two years left? I think he has another year after this year. Or they're going to be able to trade him then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because... So he, he, he has this year and then he has next year, but he makes yeah, know, he under, under $9 million, So, I mean, that's... That's, That's quite good. Incredibly valuable deal for them to be able to trade. Uh, they could also I, trade Pow. They could trade Pow, and then I'm going to be interested to see what happens with Noah because Noah is expiring this year. Yes. Um, do you let Noah go? Keep Miritich, keep Taj, keep Portis, and see what happens because Noah wasn't. I mean, yeah, he finished third in the MVP vote in 2014. He was incredible that year, but he really wasn't that good last year. And with a guy like him, where he's very skinny. Uh, he's been injured before. You do worry about his body breaking down, so maybe it is time to cut bait before paying him a max. Yeah, I, I think that you're in a they're in a really good position with Noah because they get to evaluate for another year. If he was a free agent this summer, that would have been so scary because we just don't know. We don't know if it was injuries. We don't know what it was. Oh, terrifying! Yeah, We're absolutely terrifying. So they get to do that, and now with Portis being a good basketball player, they have the <laughs> ability to be a little bit less urgent and a little bit less stressed about it because if it, you know, if he, if he does great and then you can keep him and he wants to stay, I mean, he's obviously he'll be an unrestricted free agent. So a lot of it depends also on what he wants, but they get, they get to make that decision. And, you know, if he works out well, he's a, he's a key part of this year. I wouldn't be surprised if at least two or three of the bulls, big men. So not Miritich, not Portis, are in different locations at the start of the 2016 season? So, 
Yes, that's a good question. It's going to be very dependent on how things go with Fred Hoiberg because Noah's a very good fit with that offense. He's such a good passer. Uh, and he's so good at, uh, you know, diving to the rim on pick and rolls that you might want to keep him around. Powell, another guy, great passer. Uh, really, he's a post up guy, which doesn't kind of, kind of doesn't vibe with Hoiberg, but he's another guy where you could pick and pop him a lot. And, you know, he's going to be able to space the floor, which is important for Hoiberg. Miritich, same thing. What I think is going to throw a loop into all of this is that I think McDermott is going to see minutes at the four this year. They played him a lot at the four in summer league. Uh, and I think they would like to see him play the four a little bit more this year in the NBA. Um, he's the literal prototypical four for what Fred Hoiberg wants to do. So it's going to be interesting. Miritich is the same way, by the way. Miritich is going to be a perfect four for what he wants to do. So I just don't know how that's going to shake out with uh, minutes because of Hoiberg's offense. Uh, you know, you have to keep Noah on the floor because he's the best defender and you probably want to get Taj on the floor a lot, but Taj isn't a fit. He's probably the guy on this roster that doesn't fit with what Hoiberg wants to do offensively at all. So I think it's probably going to be Taj that goes out of these guys. Uh, he's going to be an incredibly valuable, uh, asset for the Bulls to trade. Uh, you, you can probably actually go out and get a real backup point guard at some point, which would be good because Aaron Brooks, no. Um, so, <laughs> um, sadly, yeah, sadly. God, if they had signed Jeremy Lin. Yeah, that would have been good just because Lin would be able to run the pick and rolls that Hoiberg's going to want to run. But still, I, I think that they might be able to do better than Lin, having said that. Uh, and you know, they paid Brooks what, like the same amount that Lin got, but they only gave him a year. Right. So I think that, I think that'll be helpful. And it wouldn't, Surprise me if you saw Kirk Heinrich get, continue to get minutes because Kirk Heinrich is the role player that will never die. He is the role player that will never die. We, another guy that we went a long time without talking about, the guy who I was, I think you were high on him too, but Miles Turner played really well. I was, yeah. I had him in the top ten. A lot of guys didn't. Um, I think I had Turner, him at sixth. You had him at sixth? I think so. Yeah, that's, that's Wait, a, but It's because he can, we, we saw a lot of what it was. He can protect the rim, he can rebound, and he has offensive potential. Yeah, I think that the key is there that I got to see his medical reports after I filed my final top 100. Uh, if I would have seen his medical reports before I filed that, I probably would have moved him up a little bit, but I wouldn't have had him as high as sixth. Um, the thing that impressed me most with Turner was that we saw a lot of stuff that he's just never shown before. Like he showed a really interesting mid-post game where he would face his guy up, you know, 16 feet from the rim, as opposed to try and face him up from, like, seven feet away from the rim or eight feet away from the rim, uh, and then shoot, like, a shot over his right shoulder was really his uh, shot of choice this year. He'd face a guy, he'd get, a, get the ball on the right block and then face him up going over his right shoulder and knock down a jumper. What he did this week, though, was he would face guys up, uh, from 16 feet and knock down that jumper. His shot's beautiful. Uh, it gets great air under it. Uh, gets his feet set quickly. His quick release. Uh, it's a translatable skill, uh, almost right off the bat. And he's pretty good in the pick and roll as well. Uh, especially picking and popping out to the three point line. I just wish that Joe Young would have been able to hit him a little bit more often. But yeah, he, he was awesome. His defensive presence was incredible. He, he blocked, I think, at least three shots in every game. Uh, probably averaged closer to four per game in summer league. 
Um, it was it was a very impressive performance. Uh, and the other thing is, he's a hard worker. He's a kid that, you know, as long as the injuries don't pop up. And like I said, you know, I've seen the medical reports, I still have a copy of them. They just need to improve his uh, glutes, basically, and that'll fix the hitch. The hitch in the running gate is already basically, uh, it's going away. Uh, it's not totally fixed yet, but it's going away. Uh, so, yeah, I think that Miles Turner is going to be A-OK. I think he's going to be a great fit there uh, with Indiana, who obviously needs as many big men as they can find. So uh, I-, I think they probably got the best guy that they could possibly find. Yeah, they, another team that got lucky with the guy who fell. I think about that with Denver. You know, you think about mm-hmm. that with other with other situations. Yep. But the you know, and Miami, Winslow didn't really play a ton, but you know, I, I still I I think they got lucky that he fell to them because he has so much potential. Yeah, he played a lot in Orlando. They didn't play him a ton in Vegas, I believe. Right? Yeah. Um, he got hurt. I I didn't know that even that happened before I got there. I guess. Um, yeah, he was pretty good in Orlando. I thought he was physical, uh, got to the rim. He didn't shoot real well, uh, but that's fine. He, he, the shot is improving. It's still not there yet, but it'll get there, I think. Um, he's just an incredibly hard worker. He's going to be good defensively to pretty much start his career. And like I said before the draft, he's just a guy that is going to make any team that he goes to better immediately just because he's going to work hard uh, he's not going to care if you bring him off the bench immediately. Uh, he is going to be able to at least create a little bit off the dribble slashing. Uh, and he's going to be able to provide you positional versatility to where he can slow down, pick and rolls. He can do a lot of different stuff. So I'm a really big Justice Winslow fan. I had him at six on my board to finish the year. And I, I just don't see a way that he totally fails. Maybe he doesn't turn into much more than, you know, a fifth guy on a team. But, you know, at, at 10... You can live with that if he's a fifth guy. Yeah, you you really can. And I was the guy who shocked me the most in some ways was Porzingis because he just looked so different in terms of his strengths and weaknesses than what I had seen from him in the earlier years, not just in the most recent season, but the seasons before that. In what way? His defense wasn't terrible. It wasn't. I don't think his defense around the rims ever really been terrible. Yeah, I, I think, well, something that, that I give Nate Duncan a lot of credit for is that he w- he was the one that told me when we were talking about it, he's like, defensively, he's the center. Like, that's just because then he can just stand there and be tall. And yeah. when he did that in summer league, he looked pretty good. When he had to defend in space, he was a little bit less good. But he can do that, and offensively, it's going to take him time. He had, I think, one good pass. I mean, he had, he basically didn't pass. <laughs> he didn't, he, I think he had, like, 20 assists last year in all of... In oh, all yeah. Of, he had, like, I think it's a 4.7 assist rate last year. Yeah. So it wasn't very good. It's going to take him some time, but his he's a little bit... He moves a little better than I thought he did, and... Uh, moves incredibly I, well. Yeah. I, uh, defensively. Offensively, I was I always thought, kind of thought he did well because he could come off screens despite being... And he's big, too. Like, he seeing him in person, like, standing near him, he's probably, like, he's 7'2"? He's he's being listed at 7'3", 7'1", barefoot. Okay. Uh, so that's, I'd count that yeah. as 7'2". Yeah. He, he's being listed at 7'3". Um, that, that's pro- it's probably, like, 7'2 and a half. R- Rand- the other... The other thing is, go okay, go ahead. Well, so, like, I wanted to, since you're somebody who does the draft, like, I would love to see them go to a, some sort of height system. Granted, it's it's entertainment, so it's not a requirement that you have to disclose it properly. Like, you never list actors' heights. But 
I would love it if they just took the barefoot height and added a uniform amount, whatever that was, and that's a player's listed height. Yeah, uh, like uh, typically what I do is I add 1.25 inches. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's like the typical shoe height I've found in the past. It can even go up to, maybe I'll even start adding 1.5. But like, that's basically what I do. Um, I had like one and a half inches or so. You know, like Justice Winslow was, you know, six, four and a half or whatever at the combine. I was like, no, he's like six, six. That's fine. He's going to be playing at six, six. Like, don't worry. <laughs> um, but having said that on Porzingis though, uh, you stand next to him and you realize he also has very good posture. So he looks even taller than 7'2 for most guys. Like a lot of NBA players, they hunch a little bit, just being that tall. But he doesn't hunch at all. He's just very, very tall. And you see that a lot in his game, too, where he bends his knees, he gets down, he moves reasonably well uh, in the pick-and-roll settings defensively. You weren't really impressed with that, I guess. But for a guy that's 7'2", I think he's pretty good at that. But the big thing for me is that he's seven foot two, seven foot three, has a seven six wingspan, and knows exactly how to use it on defense. He is excellent at using verticality and just making it extraordinarily difficult. We saw that against Jaleel Okafor actually in their game that they played against the seventy sixers, where he blocked three of Okafor's shots just by being tall. Uh, and Okafor is, yeah, there have been some concerns about, you know. He's just like this post guy who, uh, you know, not necessarily has always been efficient against big guys. But, you know, Jaleel Okafor was still the number three draft pick uh, in this draft for a reason. And to see Porzingis kind of, uh, I mean, he didn't dominate him defensively because he really, really struggled in the first quarter. But he adjusted, he figured it out, uh, and he started fronting him in the post as well. Uh, so he figured out how to adjust to defending bigger guys already. That was impressive. And then once Okafor got the ball, he realized, hey, I have these long-ass arms. I can use them to effective uh, to effectively slow down his jump shot. And he did. Uh, so I, I'm a big fan of Porzingis. I think I haven't really hidden that throughout the process. So I, I think that he'll be fine. Yeah, I think he'll be I think he'll be fine too. I'm a little I, I'm intrigued by how he'll fit. You know, let's say he's a center defensive because I still don't have faith in his rebounding. So what do you want to put next to him? But he, if he if he can play center defensively even a little bit, it gives you so much flexibility in terms of what you're looking for defensively and offensively at the four. Well, the weird thing with that is going to be how they use him or who they use him next to because Robin Lopez isn't necessarily the best center rebounder either. Like right. if you want to He's play a better them, offensive rebounder than defensive rebounder. Yeah, if you want to play them together, that that's probably not going to work. You're probably going to be setting up a recipe for disaster as far as second chances. So who, Yeah, I was going to say like do you play you bring Porzingis off the bench probably and play him next to Kyle Quinn, I would say. Yeah. That's a pretty good fit I think actually. Uh you just have to I think the Porzingis is ready for like 15 minutes a game this year. I really do. Um, there have been people who are like, no, you're going to have to like sit him a year while he gets stronger. You stand next to him and yeah, he's skinny, but he's a lot more solid than you realize, in my opinion. Like he, he's like a solid 230 when you look at him. You, I mean, yeah, he's seven foot two, so that's going to be thrown off a little bit, but like, 230 pounds is not light either. Like his lower body isn't, weak in my opinion like you see it with some other guys just the upper body is it's a little bit skinny so 
I'm going to be interested to see how many minutes he gets this year. I think that he legitimately could play like 15 minutes a game this year. He also has the the situation where with certain guys, it it's better to see them, especially when they're young, see them play, you know, let's say 30 minutes a game in the D-League to get their confidence. With him, all that we really need to know is that he is how he faces against elite basketball talent, and you get him to learn the system. So for him, I think you want him on the NBA team the whole year no matter what. And, yeah. you, and you learn a lot more, and I think you help his development a lot more, as you said, playing him 10 to 15 minutes a game, than doing, like, let's say, what the Celtics did with James Young and putting him play, mainly playing in the D-League, because you already know what that's going to do. I think we have a pretty good idea of it. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, I, I would not have him in the D-League. I don't think they will put him in the D-League, actually. I, I would be surprised from, you know, just... I don't necessarily know what the Knicks plans are for him, but knowing Porzingis, because I know him, you know, reasonably well at this point, not like, not like saying we're besties or anything, but like I've talked to him for, you know, an extended period of time, multiple times. And I don't think he would want that. I think he wants to be with the big team and to just like be around that situation where as a professional in the NBA uh, to learn more just tricks of the trade from veterans. Uh, he's very receptive to learning from those above him and learning in general. So I think that he would be better off uh, being in that situation, in my opinion. Uh, we've been going now for for about an hour. Uh, is there anyone else that you wanna that you think we need to that we need to talk about? Um, I, I would note that I thought Stanley Johnson was very good in Orlando. Mm-hmm. He finished well. That was a big question for him. Uh, coming into the draft because he finished really poorly at Arizona. Mm-hmm. But I think that he finished really well uh, in Orlando. He seemed to – he did a little bit of uh, different stuff. He was – instead of trying to power through guys like he did in college, uh, he was a little bit more graceful and, you know, used his hang time to finish around guys. And that was smart. You, you know, that could have just really been a thing at Arizona where they didn't have any floor spacing. So teams just kind of condensed and lane on in them and he just couldn't, you know, couldn't do anything about it. So, you know, Stanley Johnson was really good. The shot's still a little bit flat with a low release point, but whatever. Um, Russ Smith was really good for the Grizzlies. He actually just got his contract fully guaranteed today. So he'll be there next season. He's a very good defensive guard. He's a little bit of a ball stopper which is kind of scary for them. But between him, Jarnell Stokes, Jordan Adams, uh, I think that you're going to be able to see the Grizzlies rest guys a little bit more than they have been able to in the past. Um, Rodney Hood and Marcus Smart uh, shouldn't have been playing Summer League, in my opinion. They were just kind of a level above. I'm trying to think if there's anyone else. Did anyone else stand out to you? Oh, Jordan Mickey. I would note Jordan Mickey was really good, too. He did yeah. a lot of different stuff, rebounded really well. Uh, moved really well too. Jordan Mickey, I, I liked. Um, Who's was, was I gonna say? Um, I I was intrigued that Vonley. He had a little bit more, a little bit more of a, a dribble game than I had remembered. He actually, I remember you were probably following him then too. When he was a young guy, when he was a junior in, in high school, he was more mm-hmm. of a, a, a swing man. He was more of a three, and he's not a five. Like well, that was one thing I learned stand, staying really close to him. He's more of a four, but that's fine. You don't need him to do that. Trying he's to a four. Yeah. yeah, he's a four. There's nothing wrong with that. I liked Hood a lot. You mentioned Hood. I, I really liked him. Booker, in the games I saw, his and this is exactly what the scouting report was, his catch-and-shoot jumper looked a lot cleaner, 
And the guy I was going to bring up in terms of jumper, you just talked about Stanley Johnson. Rondé Hollis Jefferson offensively is closer than I thought he was. He's not all the way there. You know, he's, it's, it's, you know, he's, it's never going to be like a strength for him, but he, his pull up is he, he shot a couple nice pull ups from the free throw line. Like if he can do things like that with his defensive ability, he can become a rotation player sooner rather than later. I think he'll be a rotation player for them pretty damn close to immediately. Uh, but I don't think that he's going to be providing much offensively. The jump shot is still, in my opinion, it's still a mess. Uh, I, I mean, he made a few, but. That's fine. He, he is closer, though, as far as being able to slash because he does have a good first step. He's a decent ball handler, uh, and he's a decent passer as well. Uh, so those things, uh, he, he's a little bit closer, but the jump shot is, you know, I, I don't think it's been fixed. <laughs> I, I think it's appropriate to end on the last guy of the first round. What do you think of Kavon Looney? Uh, Kavon was okay. I, I thought that he, he didn't play as much as I thought he might. Um, but he rebounded well. He did what, did what he did, like at UCLA. He showed off some decent ball handling ability, which we know that he has. Um, yeah, he was, he was okay. He's, he's not a guy that I would say it was a positive or a negative experience for. What was more encouraging, it wasn't as much for him as it was for the Warriors, is that they made no bones about him being a power forward. They didn't dabble with the three. They didn't do anything. Oh, yeah. He's a he's a pure four. They did it. They had him do some of the Draymond Green get the rebound and dribble it all the way up. And you know he usually did a pretty good job of that. And yeah, what I'm really happy about for him. And there are a couple of guys like this. Justice Winslow is another one for me who they got put in really good situations. And so they mm-hmm. were players who had hype at one time. I mean, obviously Looney went a lot lower in the draft for for various reasons. But yeah, where, well, those reasons are unclear in my opinion by the way they are um, it's, it's the reporting on on kavan looney's stuff is is very interesting and we'll have yeah, to see what they like I, to do I mean i was i was a part of that by the way <laughs> like <laughs> i've talked to him i've talked to everyone around him and they they would be surprised if he missed this entire year i will say that i don't think he's going to miss this year due to injury yeah and and they and he got into a situation where they don't need him to produce if he learns and right. he develops and they do that. I mean, whether he, he plays, you know, really gets minutes or not, I think that we've talked about that first-year transition. I think that you can get a lot out of him, and you have the possibility if, let's say, there are things that need to be done to get right and he could be done before the end of the year, mm-hmm. he could be that break glass in case of emergency power forward kind of guy that the Warriors, it seems like, they end up needing every year. Yeah, like Clint Capella was this year exactly. for uh, Houston where they needed him in the playoffs, and he came through and shined. So, yeah, I, I think that you're entirely right. Let, let's finish up on some guys that earned contracts. Yeah, though. Seth. That's, that's kind of cool to me, too. It's always fun to talk about those guys because, you know, Willie Reed got a contract uh, with the Brooklyn Nets. He got it pretty much totally guaranteed. He's a guy that I think will play for them this year. Uh, they, they could use big men, and he's a very good defensive big man, good rebounder, can finish. Who surprised you in getting contract, getting a contract this week? Getting a contract. Well, he didn't surprise me once I saw him, but I, I just wanted to talk about Jonathan Simmons a little bit. He was awesome. Oh, yeah. He's, he's an NBA player. Like, you see his athleticism, the fact that he can shoot reasonably well. Uh, you get him going defensively, that's an NBA player. 
So, uh, Duje Dukon, I didn't see much in him that I thought I, was great, but I, he didn't get much of a guarantee, so that's a little bit different. I have no idea why they signed him. Yeah. <laughs> Kaiser was fine, you know. He's Kaiser. an athlete. I really liked Ronald Roberts, but that wasn't a surprise. Like, I was, I was really happy for him. I thought he, he looked he looked good. I mean, he, he's another one of those guys that's not like anything's guaranteed. And the other guy, just looking at him, that I thought, when I watched him a little bit, was Cristiano Felicio. The Bulls. Not that they need big men, but he's like, yeah. I, I saw, you, you can see physical talent in him. I don't think he's maybe an NBA player right now. Very raw. Very, very raw. But he's, like, he's one of those players that if the NBA did, had their structure slightly differently and you could have him in AAA for a year and just really see yep. what you had in him, it'd be great. But that's not the way the system works. Yeah, no, exactly. Some other guys that I liked. Uh, I liked Jared Famous a little bit. Uh, he's like 6'11", moves reasonably well. Like He's mobile enough to... You know, maybe defend the perimeter in the NBA a little bit, but he's also he was the best rebounder in the D League last year. So the Mavericks could use that as use that at center. Um, Keith Appling did a good job scoring the basketball this week. He's known as a defensive guard, but that didn't really show through in my opinion. You know, he'll have a shot to stick as a third point guard with Orlando uh, behind CJ Watson. Well, they um, just they just got Napier. Uh, I think he might be better than Shabazz, to be honest. Interesting. But I've never been big on Shabazz. I had him like in the 40s, I want to say, uh, his draft year. Like I, I didn't see how that would work in the NBA. He's he he got steals in college, but he wasn't a great defender that could cut off penetration. I uh, wasn't a great that he's a great shooter, but wasn't a great distributor either. Even though he averaged a lot of assists, it mostly happened because he had the ball in his hands a lot. Uh, I, I just didn't see how that would work at his size, basically, and I still don't. <laughs> We we didn't we didn't he didn't get a contract as far as I know yet but Ken Birch I love Ken Birch I also wrote about Ken Birch uh, he's an active big man block shots you know uh, can't really get enough of those in the NBA in my opinion so I'm a big Ken Birch fan uh, Seth Curry we should probably mention too because Seth Curry was incredible uh, at summer league you know I still wonder again he's like one of those guys like Shabazz he's bigger than Shabazz obviously he's like six three six four. Yeah, I, I think he's probably closer to 6'3 now I say that, but uh, he's just one of those guys where I wonder if it can work, but if you get him in the right situation where the Kings might have a decent situation for him, that might work. You know, He might be able to provide the floor spacing and the creation that they need. Yeah, I, I like him a lot more. I he's I stumped for the Warriors to sign him the year that he was went undrafted. I wanted him and mm-hmm. Delvadova. That would have been interesting. Oh, I mean, one or one of one or the two. Yeah, and I like him more as a secondary ball handler than a primary. Yeah, definitely. But he's big enough that you can do that at either guard position. But he's very talented, and he at this point, yeah, I think he knows what it takes for him to make it in the league. I, I was surprised at the contract that the Kings gave him just because they and yeah. granted they give out player options like they're candy. But I, I wanna see him with another guy who can run it. And the downs I would have loved to see him I mean, they weren't ever gonna give him the money or the time, but like next to a guy like Kyle Anderson, let's say. So you have you have him so you have him next to a guy who can run the offense and do all that and he drills open shots and then when he can also when a guy closes on him, he can dribble around him and create looks for other people. But there yeah, aren't many. Yeah, he's like a Patty Mills. Exactly. Actually, that's kind of the way to put it. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. So, yeah. No, I liked him. Uh, a guy that I'm writing about possibly for Tuesday is Maurice Endor. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the Knicks, very active, uh, very long. He has a 7'4 wingspan. 
good rebounder, showed a little bit of a jump shot that I didn't know that he had. So that that's good. Mike James from the Suns, he was fun. Yeah, he's athletic. Yeah, he's a great athlete. He's been a really good European point guard in Spain. The question is just whether or not he decides to come over or not. He's a guy that can get a camp deal today. Uh, yeah, absolutely. He's, I, I love small dudes who can dunk on people. It's just something that abuses me, but I, that doesn't necessarily make a guy an NBA player. It just makes him somebody that I enjoy watching. Yeah, absolutely. Larry Drew the second always, uh, he, I always like him for some reason. I don't know why. Oh, he's unselfish. He's, he's, yeah. he's such an atypical summer league guy because he just looks at setting up everyone else. And like even while we talked about that, uh, we both love Manuel Moutier, he had those moments where he's like, I want to get mine. Larry Drew, in, at least in summer league, but really he's never that guy. And so yeah. he makes everyone else look good. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then the last guy that I'll mention, you know, Brandon Ashley just got a deal today uh, with Dallas and wouldn't surprise me if he made that team. But the guy that I actually think is better than he is, is Jonathan Holmes. You know, they're, they're both kind of like stretchy fours that, you know, you look at their skill set, you know, you kind of think they can play the three, but they probably can't play the three. They're mostly just fours who can step out and shoot 20 footers in Ashley's case. But in Holmes's case, knocked down 45% of his threes uh, in summer league for the Celtics. So I really like him. I think that he is flat out an NBA player. I think the Celtics would like to keep him around. Maybe they have some sort of agreement with him already where like they're once they kind of empty their roster out a little bit because their roster is just a mess right now, they'll take him. But that's a guy that I think could play in the NBA this season at some point, even though he went undrafted. I would love to see him on Utah. I think that'd be a good fit for him. I agree with that. That'd be a really good fit. Uh, they saw him up close because uh, he was one of the four teams in the Utah Summer League. So maybe that does, maybe that's how it works out. Like that would be a really good fit, I think. Yeah, Cotton looked good too. Going back to Utah, I like Bryce him. Cotton was really good. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking time. Always a pleasure to talk with you. Yep, of course, Danny. Thanks again to Sam Vicini for taking the time to come on the show. You can read him at CBS Sports. You can also follow him on Twitter. He's a great follow at Sam Vicini. S A M underscore V E C E N I E. Love talking Summer League. It's such a, a fascinating time, as much as we like to think that it doesn't have a lot of import in terms of the next season in the NBA. You have to glean what you can glean, and it's an enjoyable experience nonetheless. I'm, I'm going to probably write a piece on it at some point in the near future, but this was my first time going to Vegas for it, and it was a very enjoyable experience. I mean, it's a little bit different for me. I'm lucky enough that I get to cover a lot of things and see people, but if you are a basketball fan and can get there, what's so exciting about it for Vegas is that everyone's in the same room. I mean, you get to see the NBA people, the players, the coaches, the front office types. They're all walking around with name tags that have their name on it for the most part. The ones that don't, you can pretty much know who they are. And if you're interested in writers, we're almost all there too. So it's a very different atmosphere and everyone's laid back. It's not like the finals where people are on deadline and everything like that. So if you have the chance to get out there, I think it's a very worthwhile experience. The basketball isn't unparalleled, it's not amazing, but the experience itself is very unusual and fun in that way. And I, I had a blast doing it and hope to go back in the near future as soon as time and schedule and money and all that permit. So thank you so much for listening. I'm going to have a second episode hopefully this week. As many of you know, I do not announce my guests ahead of time just in case something comes up. I don't like getting people's hopes up and then dashing them. I will 
always put something out on Twitter after an episode is recorded to let you know who, who's coming on But until that point. But I'm very excited about it. Somebody that's been in the works for a little bit now, and it's somebody I've wanted to have on, honestly, since the show started. So thrilled to have Sam, excited to have another episode. As always, your feedback is very important. It helps make the show better. You can email me at daniel.larue at realgm.com, or you can hit me up on Twitter at DannyLarue, D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X. I read everything, I respond to as much as I can, and I appreciate all of it. Thank you so much for listening, take care, and make it a great day. Run to Old Navy for revolutionary prices on summer's most stylish shorts. Tomorrow only, they're all 50% off for the whole family. All your favorite shorts, denim, linen, all of them. All shorts are 50% off tomorrow only. Run to Old Navy. Valid 630 excludes active.